Good morning. How are you guys? Fantastic. Fantastic. My name is Dylan Meyer. I'm the youth pastor here at Westview Community Church. Um, I got a question for you. What's new? The year. Excellent answer. Excellent answer. Uh, what's new with you, Dylan? I'm so glad you asked. Um, so here's what's new with me. Um, yes, absolutely. New year. My goodness. New season of life. How many of you are still writing 2022 on like every check that you write still? Just me. Awesome. All right. Thank you. Um, man, tough start. We'll get there. We'll get there. Yeah. So uh, there's lots that's new. Lots that's new. Um, one thing that we have the blessing of is there's there's a bunch of cards posted on the back wall right now, and they're representative of the sermon that was preached last week. Um, Pastor Wayne did a great job of describing how God makes us new in our walk with him. Um, and he used the story of Jacob to illustrate that as God wrestles with us and realistically kind of kicks our rear end in the right direction. Um, it changes the way that we walk, and we walk our life in a new way. And so if you guys get a chance after service or whatever to, to go back um, and to take a look at some of those stories of how God has made people new, I would encourage you to do that. Um, God, God, God moves so powerfully in testimony. Um, the way that he changes people's lives and the way that their story announces and proclaims his glory in that is phenomenal. I would encourage you to take a look at that because that is something that will bring newness in you. Um, one of the newest things for me is being a dad. Uh, this is like totally brand new. Um, I'm sleep deprived most of the time. Um, but let's be real, my wife is more so. She takes... She takes the brunt end of that. Uh, but that's one of the things that is new for me is like I am trying to figure out what this whole being a dad thing is like. And there's, there's new stuff every day, um, some of which is not as great. Um, I don't know if you guys have ever heard of witching hour or anything like that. That's something that's new to me is that like the baby's soaking in the world so, so much that at a certain point in the day, she's just mad for the sake of being mad. That's new and not so much fun. Um, but what is also new is I got a text from my wife on Monday, and then I got to see it this week, is um, our, our little baby girl, Eva Marie, now blows bubbles in her spit, which is like kind of gross, but the super cute thing. Um, so many new things, so many new things. And so um, as I'm adjusting to this new year, um, I was considering New Year's resolutions, which I feel like a lot of us do, and Probably most of us in this room have already like called called it quits on that wave the white flag. Um, but if you haven't, hang in there. But this this is what I was realizing is a lot of the things that I want to make new in my life, the things that I want to make new on purpose, are rooted around relationships. You see, because Jesus has to be at the center. But just outside of that, I've I've noticed that my life now revolves around these two beautiful women in my life. And so everything that I do, every change that I want to make revolves around them and Jesus. And so relationships are at the center of everything that I think about and everything that I do. And because of that, that means that people are at the center of everything that I think about and everything that I do. And I'm just gonna throw this out there. I think that is the coolest, best thing ever. Um, People are the best part of every day and the worst. 
and the worst. Um, when I get to come home and, and to hug my wife and, and see my baby, it's phenomenal. Um, when I'm driving on the road and somebody cuts me off on my way there, less phenomenal. Um, that, is, that is brutal. Um, we went to Walmart earlier this last week. Oh my gosh, I, don't not, I do not like Walmart at all. Um, people. People, man. Um, people are at the center of everything. They're at the center of the very best parts of our lives, and they're at the center of the very worst parts of our lives. Um, and and that's, that's how this thing called life happens for us. Is it's, it's rooted in relationships, and everything that happens is centered around people. And people are messy. Amen? People are messy. And that's hard. Because that means that at the center of this thing that I call life is a big mess. And that's difficult. And so I'm, I'm just going to be real with you for a second. Some of my relationships right now are a mess. Um... My family's struggling. Um, my wife and I are doing fantastic. Our baby's amazing. Um, but we're constantly in the trenches, fighting for the other people in our lives and trying to breathe life into the things that they're going through. And some of them are suffering in such deep and painful ways. Um, and we care so deeply about them that it's hard to see them hurt. And to see the way that they've been hurt just makes me sick. Um, and the people that hurt them is so confusing. Because we often think that the people that hurt us the most are enemies, right? People that are at a distance. People that, that stand afar and, and shoot arrows and, and throw bombs and um, metaphorically speaking. We think of those people as the people that are far away, but I, unfortunately a lot of times I feel like the people that hurt the most are the people that are standing right next to us and that we're supposed to be able to trust and, and to care about and to rely on. And the people that are supposed to treat us the best are often the people that wound us the worst. And that's the brokenness of our reality. That's, that's how this thing works, is our relationships, oftentimes, the ones that we care about the most, are broken and tattered. And so I wanted to give you an opportunity for just a second to close your eyes, and I want you to think of someone that you would consider your enemy. I think a lot of times we would close our eyes in this space. You can go ahead. Um, and we would think about somebody that maybe we don't know that cut us off on the road. Traffic is like the root of all evil, I swear. Um, or maybe, it, maybe it's a coworker that we just don't get along with. Maybe it's a boss that pushes us too hard. Maybe it's somebody from our past that wounded us in an attempt to boost their own ego. Uh, maybe, it's, maybe it's a brother or a sister that has created space that's wounded us and then stepped away or mistreated us. Or maybe it's a spouse that's just not seeing eye to eye right now. I don't, I don't know who that is, but I just want you to think of that person in, the, in this moment. I want you to think of who you think your enemy is right now. You guys can open your eyes. 
the things that create wounds and barriers for us are so many. There's such a variety of options for us to have dislike and discontent with people, and it's such a struggle. Um, because to be frank, the reasons just aren't good enough. The number of times that disagreement is the reason for a lack of love. Um, the number of times that judgment and criticism creates distance and defensiveness in relationships. The number of times that differences are the issue, whether that's an appearance or income or status. The number of times that competition creates separation, either between coworkers or friends, this, this strive that we have to get ahead, to, to seek an advantage, to seek a salary, to, to climb the ladder, this competition that pins us against each other, this idea of consumerism that we have the right to have what we want when we want it. All of these things create enemies out of the best of friends, create enemies out of people that we haven't even given a chance to know all of these things create enemies out of people that God intended us to love. And those are not good reasons. Not good enough for the damage that they cause, the pain that they create. Something that I'm continuing to learn is I think every relationship that we step into, we approach in one of two ways. We step into that relationship with an approach based in love where we're seeking to value that person and to value ourselves in that relationship. The other approach is in fear. Either because we're afraid that they will point out insecurities in us, we're afraid that if we draw too close to them that they'll create pain in our lives, we're afraid that they will be better than us, we're afraid that they will point out our insecurities, we're afraid that they will bring up trauma that we've had in the past, we're afraid that they'll do something that has already been done to us, but by somebody completely different. We have a fear of pain, we have a fear of loss, we have a fear of being inferior. And sometimes that's the thing that, that makes those close relationships twisted into something else. Because sometimes it's just simply the fact that we care about someone so much that we fear losing them. And that fear changes the way that we view the entire relationship. Instead of treating them with value, we're just hanging on, hoping that they'll stay. And in fear, we create barriers. We create wounds. We create distance. We create defensiveness. And all of these things lead to destruction in that they tear apart our relationships with our friends, with our neighbors, with our brothers and sisters and spouses, and that creates damage within ourselves. I don't know about you guys, but sometimes the hardest person to face every day is the man in the mirror. Because there is nobody that I fear disappointing than myself. Because my standards for myself are higher than I could ever hope for. And because of that, I disappoint myself regularly. And I'm my own worst, worst enemy. And that is a continuous issue for me. I don't love myself well. Because I'm my own problem. And these relationships, these struggles that we have, create a mess of our lives. But God has a different design for all of creation. 
I've been thinking about this different design, and one of my New Year's resolutions, and I say one of, I mean pretty much just the one, um, is to clean our garage. Um, because the thing is gnarly. Um, there, is, there is a mess in my garage, and I, when I look at that, I see my life, and it's ugly um, for a number of reasons. One, there are things in there that I don't even know how they got there. Um, there's furniture in there that I picked up on the side of the road thinking that I was going to redo it and sell it for money. And like, if it wasn't worth money before, after I'm done with it, I think it's worth less. I'm going to have to pay somebody to take some of that stuff. Um, so there's projects that I wanted. There's projects that I didn't. There's stuff that belongs to us. There's stuff that I think belongs to my parents. I don't even know how that happens. I think that's supposed to be the other way around. I'm supposed to leave my junk with them. I don't know how that happened in return. Um, it's a mess. It's a mess. There's things in there that have no business being in there. There is junk in my garage. And there's junk in my life. Because there's things in there that I don't need anymore. Some of that stuff was useful for a time. But it doesn't belong there anymore. Because the longer it's there, and there is no space for it, it creates a mess of what God is intending for me. Because when I'm trying to get to what he needs me to get to now, I am smashing my shin on old sinks. I am stubbing my toe on random pieces of lumber. But what I'm trying to get at is there, there's junk that is invading our relationships that hasn't needed to have a home in our lives for quite some time now. And I think sometimes I wish with my garage that I could just open the door, turn it upside down, and dump the whole thing out. I think sometimes to clean my garage and to get rid of the junk, I just need to turn the world upside down. And I think God wants the same for us. God wants to turn our lives upside down and change the status quo. Because there's things that we've considered traditional, standard, normal, reasonable, usual, ordinary that needs to be shifted around. Because God has a design for how our life is intended to be. A life that is in step with him. A life that is in congruent walk with his will and his way. And that's how he designed it to be. And I dare not say it would be easy, but I would say it would be better. And that's what we're going to be looking at in this series, is we're going to be looking for what God's will is for us. We're going to be looking at this life that he designed for us, the life that we need. And we're going to be doing that by looking at the Sermon on the Mount. And full disclosure, there is not a chance that we could preach or speak or even read everything from stage that would be useful to you in your life. So I would strongly encourage you to read the Sermon on the Mount when you're not here or right now if God tells you to because I'm not going to argue with him. That doesn't go well for me. But in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus does several things. One, he flips the script. He turns the world as they see it, upside down. Because the way that they see it, the way that they see normal happening, the traditions, the habits, the rhythms, the cycles that they've created have created a world that's a mess. And if they stay in those habits, 
they stay in the mess. Something has to change. And that's what Jesus is getting at. And so he does this in several different ways. Because he has a design for their life. Jesus desires that they would be the salt of the earth. That they would be the flavor, the excitement, and the thing that preserves all of the goodness that he's designed for this world. He desires that they would be the light of the world. That they would be an example of his love and that the life that they would lead would be the life he designed for everyone to have. And that if others could just see it in them, they could grasp it for themselves. And he raises the bar for what's supposed to be normal. He takes things like anger, lust, commitment, truth, retaliation, and he requires a higher standard. Because whatever is the normal standard isn't working. Again, if they stay in the same habit, they keep the same mess. And so Jesus is coming in this space to flip the script and to fulfill the law. You see, he, he comes and he expresses that he's not here to take the law that they had, the, the, this Mosaic law that the Jews have spent their whole lives trying to implement. He's not coming to take the law of Moses and get rid of it. He's coming to fulfill it, to say that it's not that the law is bad, it's that you guys aren't getting it right. And there's a different way to do it. And so he's flipping the script. And that leads us to this space. We're going to be looking at it, Matthew chapter 5 today. Verse 43 is where we're picking up. When Jesus starts to address relationships in a different way than they would assume. Jesus says this. You have heard that it is said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. You see, Jesus takes and he starts with the status quo. He starts with what is normal and he calls it out. He says, you've heard that it is said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Would we agree that that's normal, right? To love those who love us and to hate those who hate us. But he says that's not enough. He says if we expect to change this broken world that we live in, there has to be something different. He challenged us to, to consider who is our enemy. I was looking through this passage earlier this week and keying in on specific words and trying to understand them because very commonly I read things that Jesus says and I just don't get it. <laughs> and so I was wondering, what, what is the difference between a neighbor and an enemy? And, and it, I looked at the word enemy and the word that kind of countered it, um, sorry, the word that was the same. 
is in the New Testament, that same word is often used for enemy or it refers to someone that is hated. So our enemy is someone that we hate. Someone that we work against. Somebody that we desire pain and punishment for. And Jesus says, we're supposed to love that person. I don't know about you guys, but oftentimes I feel like if I have an enemy, I have some good reasons for that. I have some things that I at least consider semi-reasonable for why I don't like that person. Maybe they've hurt me. Maybe they've lied to me. Maybe they've wounded me. Or better yet, maybe they've wounded somebody I care about. I tell you, I would be an enemy with somebody if they came up and slapped me. But if they came up and slapped my wife, whew, that's a different thing. Jesus wants me to love that person. Oh my gosh. He wants me to pray for those who persecute me. You see, my enemy is somebody I hate. Somebody that's persecuting me is somebody that hates me. And that hits different. Somebody that chases me down just to slander me. Somebody that gossips behind my back, somebody that drags my reputation through the mud, somebody that speaks ill of me, speaks bad of me, that takes my intentions and twists them into the worst possible scenario, that's who I'm supposed to pray for. Because Jesus wants me to love them. And the more I look at this, the more I realize I don't think it's overly complicated. The concept is relatively simple. And it's congruent with everything that Jesus does every other time. Jesus wants to love our enemies because Jesus wants us to love everybody. And that's pretty consistent in Scripture. And we sing about it as kids, that Jesus loves us, us being everybody. But here's the issue. It's not easy. I was talking to a good friend between services, and he pointed out that this is the hardest thing that any of us will ever do, probably is to take someone that hates us or that we hate and to love them. Not just like them. Not just be nice to their face. Not just say hi and move on. But to love them. So Jesus continues to point out all of these things and, and, and he, he threads his design right in there when he says... For he makes the sun rise on the evil and the good. He talks about God making his sun rise over the, the evil and the good, the just and the unjust, the right and the wrong. And the scripture reads S-U-N, son. I can't help but think that maybe Jesus had something else in mind when he's talking about God's sun rising. The issue for me a lot of times is I feel like it should just rise on the good because the bad aren't worth it. They're not worthy of it. But the struggle there is, am I all good? Or is there bad in me? And when I look at my enemies, are they really all bad? Or if I just stayed just far enough to where I can't see the good because I don't want to see it. Jesus flips the script He's talking about loving our enemies and then, and then he <laughs> points out specific people that he knows would bring divisiveness up. You see, he's talking about loving our enemies and then he calls out particular people. He says, for, 
For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do that. Nobody likes tax collectors, especially in this time. I think we can resonate with nobody likes taxes. Can we bridge the gap there a little bit? And then he follows that with, and if you greet only your brothers, are you not, are you, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? He's probably speaking primarily to the Jewish people. Tax collectors would be people that were just like them, Jews that betrayed them to work for the Roman Empire. That enemy in your head, have they betrayed you? like a tax collector. And then he speaks to the Gentiles, the people that are apart from them, people that are different from them, different nation, different religion, the people that are outcasts and just don't fit in this group. You see, he addresses the division because he has to. If we are unaware of the division, there's no reason for reconciliation. If Jesus doesn't address the problem, we don't see a need for the solution. And so Jesus calls out these people, and he's speaking of loving our enemies, and then he calls them by name so that it would sink in a little deeper. Something has to be different. If we expect this mess that we live in to get better, if we expect our garage to get any cleaner, we have to love our enemies. What difference does it make if we remain in the same system with the same habits to create again the same mess? Jesus says it has to be different. It has to be perfect. You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. What on earth does it mean to be perfect? It means to be whole, to be complete, to be finished. This perfect word is the same word that Jesus shouts from the cross when he says it is finished. Finished, being complete, being perfect. Jesus desires that we would love in a perfect way, in a whole way, in a complete way, because this design for our lives requires that we would be a perfect image of God. If we're gonna be his sons and his daughters, we must reflect him in perfection. That's what he says. 